Pushkin. The most innovative companies are going further with T-Mobile for Business. The PGA of America is helping lower scores and elevate fan experiences with AI coaching tools and 5G-connected cameras. AAA is getting more drivers back on the road fast with location telematics. And the Las Vegas Grand Prix is powering race day operations with 5G connectivity, giving fans an experience at the speed they deserve. This is Accelerating Innovation with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at tmobile.com slash now. Did you know some travel credit cards offer 10 times points on your spending? Don't miss out on big rewards for your next trip. NerdWallet lets you compare smart travel credit cards side by side, curated by an expert team of finance nerds. What could future you do with better travel rewards? A free flight? A room upgrade? Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, savings accounts, and more today at nerdwallet.com. Reminder, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. If your business needs a new application, then developers will have to write code. A lot of code. If an application needs to be modernized, then you'll need time resources, and caffeine. If that sounds daunting, then you need Watson X Code Assistant, AI designed to multiply developer productivity so you can generate code quickly. Let's create a more modern foundation for business with Watson X Code Assistant. Learn more at ibm.com slash code assistant. IBM, let's create. Even better than I was the yeah. last time, baby. Ooh, 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 ooh. We'll be back. I'm Welcome back. This is Talk Easy. I'm Sam Fragoso, and uh, it's been about two and a half months since the show has been on. And uh, I'm sorry, it's 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 been a while. It feels long, right? I mean, for people who like this show, um, we've received some emails, some tweets, some people texted, but many of my friends did not text. I think people have missed the show a little bit, which is really nice to be missed. It's nice to be missed. It doesn't happen very often. And uh, I guess the central question is why? And the answer is simple. I needed to do something different. And that different was to make uh, this movie, uh, this short film that I wrote and directed a couple weeks ago. And uh, I had mentioned it in passing on the show, if you really were listening to all the episodes, I'm sure some of you pieced it together. But I needed to try something new. I mean, I, I have no kids. I don't have a mortgage. I don't have, like, too much crippling debt. If I wanted to try something new with my life, this kind of seemed like the time. I don't think I'm going to be one of those people who has, like, a midlife crisis where I change career paths. I just, I've seen too many movies about that, and I don't think I can be one of those guys. So... I'm trying this out now. But we're also going to keep doing this show so long as people want to listen to it and want to help us make this show possible. It means the world to me. I was a little glib earlier about people writing in, but uh, those notes that we get, though there weren't 
like a whole bunch. I'm not trying to pretend that we had like 200 fan letters writing in. But even just six or seven people reaching out and saying, oh God, when is this thing going to come back? That's kind of enough. Six or seven people. That's all, you know, that's the truth. I think you only really need three to five people to give a fuck about you uh, to keep going on in this world. So um, that there are more than that feels good. I promise in time I'll share more about this thing I made with a whole bunch of really wonderful people. But uh, today is not that day. Today is Alia Shawkat Day on the podcast. And uh, I don't think she needs too much of an introduction. She was in that show, Arrested Development, you may have seen it. I remember watching the show in its entirety as a kid when I had pneumonia. And I was like bedridden for two weeks and my dad had the DVDs. And I don't even think he had seen the show. But he was like, oh, you know, you need to do something instead of just feeling awful and sad about your life. And uh, so I watched the entirety of the show and it totally did not cure my pneumonia. But it did make me feel a little bit better. It's been said before, but I really believe that the best comedic shows have this therapeutic quality to them. They're contained and lived in and funny in a way that reality is never and uh, I think I put Arrested Development in the group of, you know, Cheers, Seinfeld, Dirty Rock, Parks and Recreation. I think Arrested Development is right there. And um, Alia had a pretty pivotal role in that show as the character of maybe opposite of Michael Sarah. And uh, she started acting very early in her life. And I think when someone acts that early, it really does affect their development as kids, as teenagers. And I do believe it's some kind of miracle that Alia is as grounded and funny and introspective as she is, given that she started being in front of a screen at age 12 or 13, maybe even earlier than that. What's impressive is that Arrested Development may not even be the best or biggest thing Alia has done. She's in Transparent, she's in Search Party, she's done some really wonderful Drunk History episodes she had this really great turn in 20th Century Women, the Mike Mills project. She's in this upcoming movie called Blaze, directed by Ethan Hawke. And she recently just co-wrote this movie called Duck Butter, which is premiering at the Tribeca Film Festival on April 20th. It's directed by Miguel Arteta. And it's one of those movies you'll watch and be like, oh God, I've actually never seen a movie like this. And that's a bit how I feel about Alia in a way. They, they don't quite make people like this anymore. And uh, it was fascinating to get her backstory while also hitting on a whole bunch of bigger, larger subjects like the Me Too movement, Harvey Weinstein, women in Hollywood. We kind of hit it all in this conversation. And I can't quite think of a better way to return to this podcast than with an episode that really uh, attempts to talk about everything and anything. So... Finally, here is Alia Shawkat. Alia Shawkat, mm. how are we feeling? You're the first guest in the new year. We've taken a month off. Nice. Because I have been drowning in making my first short film. 
Oh, cool. Right. And um, so I've done nothing else but like sort of cry every day. Mm. So this is great. Is that what the short film's about? It's just a man crying. <laughs> Did you see um, the, that ghost story movie? Yeah. Yeah, you know where she's eating the pie the whole time? Yeah. That's me on the floor just crying the whole time. Right, right, right. No pies no at all. No pie. That was strange because she was like, that's the first time I ever ate a pie. I know. That statement needs to be it's like, edited. Hey. We know you're skinny. We know. Well, it's also she's very wealthy. She mm-hmm. comes from a wealthy family. Right. And Yeah, does she mean she's never even tried a pie before? I, that is what she meant. She's like, pies were not part of my upbringing because she had a higher- to a diner? Uh, I don't think so. That family is like billionaire. Yeah, they own um, some football team. Yeah, so yeah. I don't know which one, but definitely some mm-hmm. football team. It's strange that she admitted that, and it's also a bummer that she never had a pie before. A real bummer. I love pie. They're pretty, it's pretty good. Yeah, I mean, it did look kind of like she never had, had a pie before. Did it? <laughs> I mean, she ate the whole thing. <laughs> That's honestly as far as I got in that movie. I fell asleep right after that. I did too. And then I woke up and there's... There's like some resurrection or is there something? There's like time going by and then there's like Mexican family and kids. By the way, and if yeah. you wanted to say any statement about any movie, time, time definitely goes by. by. Well, everyone's like, oh my God, you got to wait till the end. It's so good. And I was like, I can't do it. You're just going to get through it. No, it's, it's, it's not. It's not a, uh, yeah, pass on that movie. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a thousand places to start here. Yeah. Um, I guess it's your choice where. It's my choice. <laughs> I want to start with the fact that Plenty of people have talked to you about being a kid actor and, and, sure. and doing that. And what was it like working on Arrested Development with all these people? Mm-hmm. I always found those questions silly because it's like, you're a kid. I don't think you were constantly gauging how crazy it was to be working with XX and X. Definitely not. No. Something I want to start with, I guess, is since nine, you started acting. Mm-hmm. 13, you got Arrested Development. Your life has been, like, to be in a public eye in some amount of time since that age, has that, like, been straining and all? Has, like, has that affected you in the way you carry yourself through life? I mean, it's so bizarre to me. I like how you did that, just lifting your hands. Um, yeah, for people who don't know, I guess I yeah. lifted my hands. <laughs> she made fun of it immediately. That's what I do as That's a defense. That's how we're starting the interview. Great. Um, yeah, I mean, obviously, any experiences in life guide affect who you are like the fact that you know some people ask me they're like so what was your first like real job and I was like well I started my first job was acting like I've only <laughs> been acting it's the only gig I've, I've done does that bother you it doesn't but you know going back to the Rooney Mara pie thing it's a little like I've only acted I've never had a normal <laughs> job um but also like the idea of being in the public eye I, I still this is like where I'm at now is the most I've been like recognizable in my life so I feel lucky in a way looking back on it because I was never really a famous kid actor. I was a working kid actor, but I never, my life didn't change mm-hmm. besides the fact that I would be on sets, which is abnormal. But I had a normal like middle school, high school. Um, I would get recognized sometimes, but very rarely. And uh, always as maybe from Arrested Development, never the thousands of indie movies I've done that no one's ever seen. But um, so it was kind some of some people have seen some those. people have seen the Sundance yeah. Committee has oh, definitely they've seen love all of them. My career. They've seen all those yeah. movies. They haven't accepted all of them, but they've no, seen them. But they've yeah. seen them. <laughs> <laughs> Thank God for them. But yeah, I mean, I guess in the way the way that it was kind of strange was that more about how it affects me now. Like I think a lot of actors I know who started acting when they were like twenty or in their early twenties, 
um, have a different way they look at it, where it's more of like it's work. It's also they have a certain drive that's just a little different from mine. Mine, you know, for better or worse, I kind of always was like, because when I was 18, I had made more money younger than I had as right. an adult. So right. I was 18 and I didn't have a gig. I'd wrapped Arrested Development. And, well, plus at 18, I, I want to make sure I get this right. They, yeah. they, you didn't get to receive your money till... Till I was 18. Till you were 18, yeah. right? And then you left the show... And that's when you went to college for a second. Yeah. Like oh, think, you did do some research. I think like actually two days. I did actually go for two days. Yeah, yeah. Sarah Lawrence. Um, Can you just run me through what happens on the second day of college? Yeah. I mean, let's go as far back as the first day. I mean, I showed up <laughs> and I, uh, I had already been working on my own at 17. I'd done a movie in Montreal by myself. And so I was pretty independent for a 17-year-old. And I show up in this uh, like you know room that's the size of this room, but for three people to live in. And these two girls were there. And uh, they were very sweet, but had never left home. And there was already that energy of like, you're our new best friend. And I was like, don't touch me. I was like, I'm not staying long. Um, I just like, all of a sudden, there was like a mandatory pizza party that night. You hate pizza. I hate pizza. I hate anything mandatory. I noticed like, which, which a lot of people say is like, a big part of college is more of the social experience you know and I was just like not about that I was like and all the classes I was going to be studying were like film history and theater and, and creative writing all these things that I have continued to do but when I got there the main crux even though I was having like an emotional um, reaction to being there was I met with my advisor to do my classes and he was like if you miss more than three classes in a month then you fail like you're out and I'd already had another indie gig booked. And I was like, really kind of went into it blindly. Like, well, I'm a professional actor. Like thinking they were going to treat me like Natalie Portman doing Star Wars or something, you know? Right. And they were like, yeah, you can't miss it. And also it was in Bronxville, which wasn't Manhattan. And I really thought I'd be going to the city a lot. And it's like, they even said, they're like, be careful leaving campus because some of the local high school kids throw cans at the Sarah Lawrence kids because it's known as like a queer college. And I was like, okay, great. Mm -hmm. I can't even leave this place. And... And then I got walked in on in the bathroom the second day, I remember, and it was like an embarrassing moment. And this girl like opened the door and I was like in a bad position. And then she closed it. And then I was walking and I saw her and I kind of waved like, hey, I'm the girl you walked in on. Like, hey, we're at college, right? Like, we could talk about this shit. And they just like laughed at me and kind of were like snickering. And I was They didn't like, want to talk about that? They didn't want to talk about it. And I was like, that's a perfect like classic. Like, and that's how I met my best friend. But instead I was like, <laughs> all these kids, it just felt. Like I was not better than them, but I was like, I had evolved past it. It was just like not the place I really felt like I was going to learn. Obviously, 48 hours isn't a lot of time to discover that. But I was like, I am out. I remember they showed The Princess Bride and everyone was like, I was like, oh, I'll just go sit and watch the movie. And everyone was screaming out the lines. You know, it was very like art school. And I was just like, oh, this isn't for me. So I called my uh, boyfriend at the time, his sister, who's still one of my best friends, Rachel. And I was like, yo, pick me up. I'm moving to Manhattan. This is it. And she came up and she was like laughing the whole time and we're packing up my shit. And the girls I was supposed to be roommates with walked out of the lawn and they followed me. They're like, you're just leaving? And I was like, yeah, not for me. I'm going to go. But uh, you guys have a good four years and take care of yourselves. I'll see you on the other side. Yeah. So I moved to Manhattan and, and I kind of didn't work. I, I discovered painting at that time, which was um, a big and is a big part of my life now. But yeah, I didn't like work for a little while and that's the thing that 
compared to maybe other actors I like, I really had to decide if I wanted to do this or not. You know, it wasn't like I had loved it so much when I was young and then had kind of disassociated with when I was 18 because I was like, oh, I'm not this like kind of lead girl type that they were promoting. And I wasn't being considered for any of those parts. And I was like, I don't want to play a smarmy like teen again, just poorly written. So I was like kind of bitter going on auditions. I was just bitter about all of it. I was like, fuck this industry. I was like, I'm not into it. And then a year passed and I got an audition for this movie called Whip It um, that Drew Barrymore directed about roller derby. And it was like really cool. And the part was like written for me practically, an ethnic best friend. Um, and I was <laughs> like, by the way, that's, that's all it me. takes. That's all it takes. <laughs> it's just getting identified by Hollywood. Um, but yeah, I've had like that time. And then even again, five years ago, moments where I'm like, wait, do I want to do this? Whereas I think a lot of people don't necessarily take that time to be like, they're like, this is it. I, right. I went to college. I figured it out. This is what I want to do. I'm going to focus on it. Whereas like I had the kind of privilege to be like, I wonder if this is what's really going to make me happy and if I really want to be an actor and a writer and like, do I want to be more involved and stuff like that? Yeah. I mean, the privilege to have that space is like something you also work for as well. Yeah. As a kid. And like, again, also when I was younger, I had no concept of like, is this a good career move? I was like, how much money am I making on this? Like at all, I would audition for stuff. Like that's why I did some shitty jobs when I was like 15. I did a movie called deck the halls, which is like the worst piece of crap ever. And, I auditioned for it and got it. And I was like, yeah, that's what you do. You, you do a part you get. And after that, I was like, right. I don't have to do things I don't like anymore. And even if I wasn't making bank, I was like, had more money than most like freshmen in college, you know? Mm-hmm. How were your parents responding to it? Because I will be honest with you. My only, I know your father is from Baghdad. Yeah. I play poker with him about once oh, a month. Yeah. <laughs> And I play with you know your, Tony and, and Sharif. I play with your brother. Yeah, oh my I, God. I've played in this game. I didn't know you're a member of the Jeff Poker Night. I, I used to be a big part of it, and uh, I've really, you know, been lazy lately. Uh, I I was going more, and now it's about once a month. Yeah, it's yeah. Like it's serious very quickly. Yeah. But my only understanding of him and your family is through those games. So they funny. seem lovely. Yeah, they're good. <laughs> so they so for reference, they ran, he ran a nightclub with your mother, a gentleman's club, right? Yeah, a strip club. Um, my mom and my dad opened it together, and he still runs it. Yeah, yeah. You're eighteen, nineteen, moving to Manhattan. You're leaving college. Is there a phone call with your parents being like, "Hey, you know that thing I was gonna do for the next four years? I'm not doing it." Yeah, definitely. And I was actually it was a big moment for my relationship with my parents as with most kids at that age. But uh, me and my dad had a kind of tumultuous teen growing up because I was very independent. I was the only girl. And you be- smoked weed. I smoked weed. I got in a lot of trouble. And um, because I had worked, I would live these kind of split lives. So it was very, like, I'd come back to Palm Springs where I grew up and have had just been on set, you know, on a show where people, like, respected my opinions. And I was, like, an adult. And then i come back to the desert and have to be, like, a normal teenager. And I hated it. So we had a very rough kind of, you know, high school time. But then when I turned 18, something switched where he completely was like, you're an adult. Do what you want. And not in a, like a dismissive way, but like I remember I made the phone call where I was like, and I was worried about it because it was always, I went to like a college prep school, you know, worked on good grades. It was like a whole thing. And college is very important to my parents. And I called them and I was like, I can't do this. I was like, it's not for me. I want to be an actor and I want to write and make stuff. And 
I can do that without school and I might pick up classes later, but this is just not the place for me. And I'd rather be living on my own in Manhattan. And that's what I'm going to do. And I was really worried that they were going to be like, and they were so cool. They were like, all right, it's your choice. Do what you need to. And I think that they were, you know, in retrospect, now that I'm doing, you know, better work-wise, at the time, my dad was like really worried. And I had was dating someone at the time, and I kind of went on tour with him. I was kind of just like, fuck this biz, you know, and I wasn't focusing. And I think he was worried and would talk about it with my mom, but he never expressed it to me. He was always mm-hmm. like, I trust you to do what you want. And um, that was really powerful. Did you trust yourself at that time? You know, it's weird having retrospect on anything because, like, at the time, I was so full of doubt. That's why I was bitter. I was super insecure. I was like, I don't look like those girls. I'm not. And they would always be like, you know, Emma Stone, she's so funny. The funniest, (laughs) cutest girl ever. And I was like, yeah, she's all right. But, like, I'm not that. Like, I was always just comparing myself to these types of actresses that were making it and getting these opportunities I didn't have. And I was, like, really bitter about it. So that's why I kind of pulled back and discovered painting. I was painting all the time, but I felt very useless. I was like, I'm not doing shit, and I know I can do more. Did you feel useless because the industry kind of routinely failed to recognize you? Yeah, yeah. definitely. Yeah, and then also just my own insecurities of being like, and, and being, what was weird too is like when Arrested Development was on air, I never got recognized. No one heard of the show. And then as time passed, starting at 18, I started more and more getting recognized for it. It was a very weird thing. So it was also weird because I was meeting a lot of really interesting people, a lot of musicians that I became friends with because they were like, you're maybe from Arrested Development. And I'm like, "Uh, yeah, (laughs) you want to get a drink? And they're like, yeah. So I became friends with all these like really fascinating people in New York almost because I was maybe. And so I had this like weird access, but then it was also that thing of like, so what are you doing now? And I was like, jack shit you know i'm here getting a drink with you yeah exactly i was like i'm making friends and um (laughs) and also at the time you know michael sarah who's like was my closest friend and we're still really close he was in juno and super bad right at that time so i was also comparing myself to him where he was like so famous overnight all of a sudden and we had both come from the same place and i was like why aren't i in a juno or super bad like why can't i be making it like that and you know as time told me like I had to really figure out what kind of work I wanted to do and actually like put my all into it instead of just expecting it to come easily which it kind of had when I was younger I had auditioning Mm. just get stuff did you want to be in a kind of Juno I mean did I audition for Juno yes (laughs) um there's an honest answer yeah I um yeah I wanted to be in you know fucking lead role where it's like the quirky cute girl who's different like of course I wanted that attention but something that I still deal with is like figuring out attention can be very mystifying Um, especially as an actor it's like your face and so much of it is like promoting yourself versus the work you do and then you do good work and then no one even sees it so it's like Mm. value comes with how much somebody sees something including your face and how much you put yourself out there. And, you know, it's always like a little crux. I'm always having to balance the two of being like, well, I'm doing this because I really want to do this work and it'll ha- it'll pay off. I have to believe it, whether or not it's like success in other terms. Right. You know, which is bizarre because when you're making the thing that feels good, you just kind of assume that everyone else is going to. Yeah, they're going to love this. Totally. And then looking back, it's like because since I've been doing it for like 20 years now, 
so many experiences, even things that weren't necessarily a huge success at the time or even when they came out or whatever, it was so, everything was worth it. I met people that I ended up working with later or I met people who I became good friends with who changed my life in different ways or that job got me something else or that experience being in that city got me. So like, it's all worth it. Yeah. And it's more of like the long haul. I'm like, I just want to keep, you know, acting is one of the only gigs that you could do till you're fucking 95, you know, like you could just keep doing it if you want to. And so I'm, I'm like, yeah, I'm just like steadily trying to do stuff and also challenge myself. Do you remember an age or a time when you were in New York mm-hmm. away from your family, away from Hollywood where you thought to yourself, okay, I think, I have a handle on like my life in some way. I mean, because I guess a little bit. My thing is every time I go to New York, I, mm-hmm. I I said this before on the show, but it's the type of city where I have like the best day of my life, where I think I've yeah, I think I figured everything out, guys. Like, we can call it quits, right? And then there's another day where I'm like, I fucking hate everything. I'm just I'm awful for sure. This is awful. What are people doing here? Yeah, I like have an existential crisis. It's more crisis. extreme. Yeah, I find some, LA is more numbing, which oh, I don't think is better, but it's more yeah, of like that, a steady, like, God, it's beautiful again outside. What am yeah, I doing today? I mean, it's like 78 today. Yeah, it's, it's ridiculous. January. <laughs> but um, yeah, in New York, I mean, again, I was like 18 to 21 when I lived there. Are you getting up? Keep going. Okay. Um, well, he's running out of the studio. <laughs> I'm done. 18 to 21? <laughs> what? What? What's so... Yeah, when I was 18 to 21 is is when I lived there. And I was, like, spending a lot of my money on clothes and then, like, and food and then not having enough money for other things, like, for the week. Like, I was not knowing. I was, like, my first time I had my money. And I had a lot saved. And my dad was very smart where it's, like, I wasn't getting it all at once. Uh But I still, like, did not know how to manage my life. I think on Anna Sale's show you said... $600 $600 on a dress, yeah. quarters on Thai food. Yeah, that's true. Very true. Same Thai place, eight bucks for it. Um, <laughs> and I was also in a relationship at the time, which was great. But uh, This is a guy in the band. This is a guy in the band. His name's Jack. We're still good friends. I haven't been in a relationship since. But um, it was a very healthy like relationship, but I was kind of lost in it. I was like, went with him, kind of did his stuff, and and as I said, discovered painting, which was like, didn't realize how big a part of my life that would become. But there were days, yeah, I'd get all dressed up and we'd go see a show and go to a nice dinner. And I was like, I'm living my life. And then other days where, you know, I'd talk to my manager who I could barely get on the phone at the time who was like, yeah, we don't really have anything going on. And I'd be like, fuck this. Like, I'm not doing anything. I'm just like here spending my money and like, you know, people are going, maybe? And I was like, maybe. (laughs) And that was it, you know? And it was really weird. That's a good the getting recognized and not having work. It was a very strange thing. Cause it's like when you get recognized for something you're really working on actively or like, you know, you're busy, that feels it feels better. better. Yeah, yeah. You're like, thanks. You're watching the thing I'm working on. But it was like something I hadn't done in, in a while. And I was like, Oh God, I, I'm going to get recognized this forever. And like, just till I fade out. And it was a lot of like, do you still act? You know, yeah, I got yeah. a lot of that. And I was That's, like, I do. I mean, like I've, kryptonite. I've, <laughs> yeah, I know. I've heard actresses and actors, to tell me that before yeah and i'm always like who is the person asking that question yeah like, why, well they you... don't they're not aware because like they don't think of actors as like it's a job and they yeah. don't know that it's hard to get jobs totally. they think that you just decide you don't when they don't see you you don't exist anymore but even still i would never if i like saw an accountant if his friend is like an accountant he loses yeah. his job i'm not like so what's going on with your accountant career right 
I'd be like, you know, I hope you you get it together, and I wouldn't say anything. Totally. I'd just be supportive. Yeah. It just that's such a rude. It's such a it's such a unflattering and unkind question. Yeah, I really don't. I like to assume they don't mean it that way. I think no, they I, maybe they don't. Maybe yeah. I'm being cynical. Some people are dicks, though. Uh. I think that there's just a, a very certain perspective or an idea of anyone who's in the public eye, an actor, a musician, whatever, and they think that that's why people are very like feel the right to be able to interrupt you at dinner or when you're talking and be like, "Hey, you that person from that thing? What are you in?" I get that so a lot. Like. I know you. What do I know you from? And I'm like, yeah. I don't know. I'm that, in a lot of stuff. That's the worst thing. That's the roughest. And you have to like sit there and like list your resume. And sometimes I'm I'm like in the mood and I'm patient. And I'm like, well, maybe you've seen Arrested Development. They're like, no, no. And I'm like, okay, well, uh, maybe you've seen Here, you know what? Let me pull out my phone. Here's an IMDb. Yeah, exactly. We can go through this. And then other times I'm like, hey, what's your name, dude? Like, I don't know how we know each other, but like, let's just talk and yeah. be normal. I, I listened to one person. I don't know who it was, but someone said... Anytime someone comes up to me and they say, oh, you're that guy from the X. He just is like, yep, I am. Right. Exactly. He's not. Right. It doesn't matter. It's that. Because it doesn't matter. They, no, it doesn't matter. They just want to like feel validated. They want to yeah. be like, oh, I recognized X person from X. It doesn't, totally. A lot of people say hi to me as if they know me. They're like, hey, what's up? And I'm like, hey, nice to see you. And then we just walk off and I'm like, I know I don't know that person. What? But yeah, it's like people feel, you know, it's the, it's the. Benefits and negative sides to it is like people like seeing someone who looks familiar, uh-huh. makes them feel comfortable. That's also like how fame works in a weird way. Like they're like, oh, it's my favorite actor and that fucking thing. And like I think audiences are a lot more simple than we think when it comes to the idea of casting and stuff. And, you know, cause sometimes I'll get like recognized so much one night and then I'll find out I didn't get a part or like can't get in an audition for a certain thing. And I'm like, you should see the public, man. They love me. <laughs> Three people came up to me Three in people, and man. said they knew me from something, but couldn't tell me what that thing was. <laughs> That's got to be something to fuck in the studios, right? Is there a moment in New York where you're like, I think I'm done. I'm not going to do acting. I think I'm going to do something else. I'm going to do painting. I'm going to sing. Yeah, uh, there was in New York for sure. It was It was also a moment of like, I didn't know exactly. So I was doing painting and I was singing a little bit, but it was never enough where I was like, this could be a career. And it was the first time again, because I was spending my money so willy-nilly, I was like, how am I going to survive? I was like, what can I do besides act? Yeah. Um, that sounds terrifying, by the way, to was. look at your bank account. I mean, terrifying in the way of, it's a great privilege to have the savings, but like to see yeah. it being depleted. Totally. And spending it on like, you know, clothes, like crazy shit. And then also like, no one feels good when they're not working, you know? So I was like, I wanted to feel active. I wanted to have something to be doing every day. And, you know, looking back on it, it was such a great time, actually, because I was like sitting in my, you know, whatever they call it, not roasting your loins, but soaking your loins or some shit like that. It's definitely not roasting. It's not roasting yeah, your loins. No, no. no, no. But uh, I was like, you know, I was young and like having fun and actually discovering what I wanted to do. So by the time the opportunity presented itself again, I was like, you know what? I do want this. But I had to rediscover that I wanted to do it instead of just like, I wonder if I would still act if I had just gotten a big gig and like kind of became really famous. Like maybe I would have hated it because I've gotten better with it, but I had a real issue with fame mm. and um, the value people put on it and how two people could do uh, the same job, but one is, you know, a bunch of people see and one nobody, uh, like no one sees it, but it's the same quality of work. 
and one person gets all these opportunities because because mm. of it. And that still bothers me. I'm like, there's so many good films and you know things that are happening that people just don't see, and you know they treat somebody else like they're God's gift. And yeah. I'm like, this other person did the same thing. And that's like, I understand how the machine works, but it's it's. Uh, I had to like learn how to come to peace with that if mm. I wanted to be a part of this industry. Otherwise, I would just hate it too much. Yeah, I mean, we can have a whole. Two hours about fame yeah. and industry. <laughs> well, it's not. The last thing I want to ask about all of this, mm-hmm. I heard you tell this story, I think it was on Death, Sex, Money, about um, going to parties with Michael during the Arrested Development days. And this mm-hmm. is all sort of relates to recognition and, and the industry. What is going through your head when you're like 14 at these functions that people, by the way, like work their whole lives people think that's where they want to be and then they get i mean you know they get there and they realize it's it's awful yeah it's all a joke yeah but at 14 what is going through your head with all these adults thinking that what they're doing is really important you know i was very i was less judgmental back then i was more judgmental myself if anything at that age but nobody knew who we were that was another thing so we were like 15 year old kids we would weren't even trying to drink or anything like when i was in palm springs i was more trying to get in trouble and like smoke pot and drink but at these parties me and michael always got cranberry juice mine with ice his without ice and uh we would just like do pranks we'd be like joking talking to ourselves it was like a real funny environment so it's like a lot of strange different kinds of people and he would dare me to say stuff to people and i'd go up and say it and like we were just kind of these like invisible you know, kids and our moms were there hanging out, getting drunk in the corner. And we were just like, all right, we're here. And it was always just an excuse to hang. And there was always another one. There were so many like Fox events or award shows, you know, like we went to so many award shows together, but it was so different. And it's weird now going to them because I still have a similar spirit to them of like, this is just for fun. Like, let's just have fun. I really like, I'm very social. I like going out and I like being around people and, and so I'm like into those environments, but now as an adult, I see everyone's insecurities a lot stronger. And I see everyone's urge to be over there instead of where they are because that's where that person is. And this like urge to be like, you're never satisfied, which is what the worst part about those things are. It's like they're beautiful, like lavish events with free drinks and free booze and there's famous people. And it's like all these, you know, that's the idea. But when you get in there, no one's really satisfied. It's very no. hard to find someone who's actually having fun at it's those the things. Most- I've had way less experiences in those, but I've been mm. to some of those things, and it's uh, really like soul crushing. Yeah, in a lot of ways. But it's because everyone, I think, is forced to identify themselves in this like hierarchy of like, well, you're not the most famous person here, or you're not the most important person here, and everyone wants to be around that important person. And really, it's like, you know, I go to them like a little less now because they're not as fun, but. What it was for me and Michael then, I try to keep that spirit now where I'm like, this is just a fun night to celebrate. And like, we're just here to hang out. We're just here to laugh. You know, me and Michael were never like, sometimes we'd see someone we really liked. I remember from like the Jay Chandrasar from like Broken Lizard, those dudes, we were obsessed with Super Troopers and we got invited to that premiere, you know, and we would go, we were like taking pictures with everyone on our disposable camera (laughs) and that was a big night, you know? But it was like, it was never... I think also the failure that happens at the parties like that now or any kind of social environment is thinking that there's something better that could happen and not being satisfied with just being there 
And when we were younger, I never remember feeling like, oh, but we didn't get to do that. Or we didn't get to talk to that guy. Or we never did. It was always just like, all right, we're here. And I remember there was like a piece of sushi that fell on the floor once and we danced around it. Like it was like a joke that we laughed about for hours where we just like would dance around a piece of sushi. And that was like one of the <laughs> most fun nights. You know, like we just like were two friends hanging out. Did you find yourself becoming content in New York or was it until you moved back here? I I love New York and I, I'm i lucky I get to shoot um, my show Search Party out there. So I spend like half the year out there and I still am like, Fucking New York's where it's at, man. Every time I go there, I miss it. But I feel like my overall contentment that still ebbs and flows, but it comes from me feeling like I have uh, my focus, you know, focus on work. And I feel like I'm not overthinking stuff. And when I'm with good friends, like those kind of things. So kind of, dip, it, it's not as much, so much of the conversation I feel like with actors is like LA, New York. And I really think it's like it does. The city isn't what it's about. I've had great times in New York, great times in LA, and bad times in New York, bad times in LA. It's it's really where I'm at. Um, who I'm with, how much I'm able to reach out to people instead of isolating myself. I can isolate myself in New York and LA. Huh. So it's kind of just like the mood I'm in, and and does yeah, that what, come easy to you? What isolating yourself? Yeah, it does. I'm very, I'm like an extrovert introvert or whatever, says the test I took online. But um, <laughs> I, I feed off of groups. Like I really like the energy of groups and I like bringing people together and like I'm all about that. And then sometimes I'm like, I can't talk to anybody. And like my really good friend will call and I'll just like watch it ring and I'm like, I can't talk to anybody. I was like, I don't want to do it. Huh. You have to expel a lot of energy in this industry, I think. And my energy works that way. Like if I'm on set, you have to be very sociable. And then if I'm painting or writing, it's like I have to save the energy and not really hand it out so freely. So like, you know, going to Sundance, I was just like so much energy was expelled. I was like interacting with so many people and like my voice was like, hey, like everything's so like exciting. And yeah. then when I got back, I was just like, I got to just be around my parents and like not be sociable and not like I, I just can't do it. So I, it's like that's where I find my peace is like knowing when to f like fill my energy back up again. Uh I've noticed that people are just constantly, especially here, mm. asking for your energy, though. For sure. The, it's, it's so much of an ask. Yeah. It's like, can you please just give me something, anything? Yeah. And that is when I find myself being just like really disillusioned and, and uncertain. Of, like the amount of times in the last year I have thought to myself, am I an awful friend? Right. Am I an awful person? person mm -hmm. am i not giving a sufficient amount of myself to someone and i don't mean to ask those questions on this podcast in like some superficial way i mean i'm asking i'm thinking about that right now and it's painful because mm -hmm. the idea of like reserving parts of myself seems selfish or something seems selfish and in a way may hurt someone else and that's not the goal of it at all yeah the only freedom I have of that thought, because I have that a lot, I canceled like three lunches this week because like when they first asked me, I was like, of course I want to have lunch with you. I like you. And then the day comes and I'm like, I'd rather have no plans today than have lunch with you. You know, like it's like really hard for me to, I'm like, I just can't imagine. I just not, it's just what, don't, what I, I don't want to do it. And the thing that I always use that I remind myself of is the way I feel about someone, I have to naturally assume to a degree that they feel that way about me. So if I'm canceling something or if I'm not able to, you know, give as much as myself as I think I should, 
I just have to be like, but I actually like this person. It's nothing against them. It's mm. because I need to save my energy. So I have to assume that they like they do the same thing and I won't take it personally. I think it's the only way to kind of survive a creative like world too because in between actually being on set or doing jobs where you're like, sorry, this is my number one priority. I'm working. You have to know how to maintain yourself, stay healthy, you know, because like some nights I'm like, I'll get lost in the like staying out and drinking with people and it's fun. And after a while, I'm like, why do I feel like shit? I'm like, oh, because I'm older now and I can't just party every night. Like I have to go to sleep. Today I had a, I go to this workout class in the morning and I saw my friend and she was telling me how she went to the Black Panther premiere last night. And last night I had dinner with my family. It was in bed by 10, you know, and it was a really nice night. But I found myself feeling like genuine FOMO, you know. I was like, I missed out on the Black Panther premiere. Like I wasn't even invited. But I was like, that was probably the crazy event. It was so fun. There were so many cute guys there. And like everyone was dancing and it was so fun. And I was like, I can't believe I missed it. I missed it all, you know. And then I was like laughing. I was like, you are a joke. I was like, you were exhausted last night. So it's like there's... Something. I'm glad we're getting an insight into what's happening in that head. Yeah. Yeah, this is all in my head. But like You I, are a joke is something you said to yourself. <laughs> <laughs> you are a joke. You are Alan. a joke. You didn't get invited to the hottest premiere. But I How have How am that. I ever gonna see this movie now? It will never it'll never be the same. But like there is that thing, especially in Hollywood, where it's like that idea of always being a part of the coolest group. It's like a popularity contest, you know? It's like you're wanting to be at the coolest event, the coolest group, and like be in it. And that takes so much energy and outside thought that actually isn't necessary. Like you might get something back from it. You might have fun. But in the scheme of things, it's like it's really important to know that you put your priorities first to a degree, especially mm. when it comes to energy. Like how are you going to write something? How are you going to make something? How are you going to be present if you don't like really learn how to take care of yourself? Every time I finish a job, it's like round one again. I'm like, all right, back here. Right. Like, take care of yourself, you know, and hopefully change a little bit. But it's really important to, like, save it up and not just, like, hand it out willy-nilly. Let's talk about you making something. The whole Duck Butter film, Mm -hmm. which will come out and play at some point. That's something you've been working on for a long time. I don't know where I heard it, but you said something to the extent of this is a movie that's tapped into your frustration or maybe like inability to open up to people. Mm-hmm. Do you find that still true for you? I do. I I made the film with Miguel Arteta, who's like one of my closest friends, and he taught me so much in making it. Not just like how to make a movie, but what it means to make a movie. He's like a very personal filmmaker and just dear friend who's taught me a lot just by his friendship. But maybe One of the more generous people I've met in in this place. And he's also like one of the most real people you'll meet in this industry who's like actually doing stuff for the right reason and is very respectful. Completely disinterested in small talk. Oh yeah. And it's uh, wonderful. Yeah. He's so straightforward and he's just amazing. And so when we were making it, I remember he was saying he's like, we were both making it on a very personal level. You know, for him it was like about a relationship he had been in and for me it was a combination of relationships I had bad relationships I had been in and also yeah the inability to at first meeting someone and being Mm -hmm. like I am in this they're the best and then very quickly being like wait a second they're a stranger get them the fuck out of here while we're still in the midst of it and me having to kind of like dance my (laughs) way out the door 
So you've um, had one primary, you said one relationship with, with yeah, the musician? Yeah, that I consider like, that was the only time I was like, this is my boyfriend. Right. And he met my family. And then I've had, you know, a scattering of other ones and people who've meant a lot to me, but nothing that really worked out in the way that we shared our lives. So that was another thing I, I like, I've just recently been like, I don't have an issue. I'm just like, have a different way that I approach relationships. And I'm, you know, hoping to meet someone, obviously, but just approach things differently. And with, with Duck Butter, something that Miguel had taught me, he's like, ideally, you wor- you make movies about something that you question or want to work on in yourself. And then by making it in some way, you're able to release it. And with Duck Butter, I definitely feel that. I had had very similar dynamics as my character does in the movie who like overthinks, tries to please people, acts almost too much a certain way because this person they like or infatuated by wants that kind of personality. And you're Mm. like, I'm totally this person, dude. (laughs) Like, oh yeah, I love this shit. And then all of a sudden you're like, I am not this person and I don't know how to communicate. Honestly, I don't want to be with this person anymore. So I'm just going to make it really weird until (laughs) like it eventually dies out or I have to be put in a corner to be like, I don't like you. I don't like anything about you actually. There's there's nothing more crushing than being the person they want you to be and mm-hmm. then a couple months down the line you being with them somewhere and you're like oh man i like really don't like this version of myself and, yeah and they totally think this is me yeah and they like this version and of they me. really like this version yeah it's exhausting it's like hard enough to be yourself let alone being somebody else around somebody so it's like oh, myself you... i mean that's not yeah i don't know yeah. what that is but no one sure. does. yeah great. <laughs> that's why i'm an actor um but <laughs> It was like, it, it was very, you know, healing. It's not like I got out of it and like fell in love with someone and got in a healthy relationship, but it definitely helped me um, break certain patterns because I was almost able to act them out. Mm. You know, like it's pretty much about two girls who meet and, and this girl's like a very big, you know, kind of character who's like very like, like make art just for the moment and like really like lively and fun and foreign and uh, and I'm just like, I'm on board. I want, you know, I want to be where you're at. Like, I want that energy and act like I'm really game. And then she doubts it and doesn't know how to be honest and direct with her. And I was pulling from just like so many instances that I had been in. And yeah, again, it's not like it completely solved me of it, but it gave me a different perspective on myself mm-hmm. that was refreshing. Something I was able to laugh at and be like, hey, you don't have to take it so seriously. Like, right. Just like chill. Take your time when you meet somebody. And if it doesn't feel right, it doesn't feel right, you know? And I also, it gave me a different perspective on the idea of what a normal relationship should be, too. Uh, all my life, because I've only been in one, all my friends are dating all the time, always. And they're like, this is my boyfriend. Like, they just met, or this is my girlfriend. It's, like, very easy for them. And I've never had that. It's never been easy for me to commit to somebody that quickly. And now I'm, like, not as hard on myself for that. I'm like, hey, I just have a different way of getting to know people. And my, the way I have sex is like, it's just a different dynamic. You were hard on yourself. I used to be very hard on myself, yeah. I've gotten a little nicer lately. Uh, yeah. Why do you think you were reluctant to give yourself in some full way? I don't know. I mean, it's a good question. I ask my therapist that a lot. Um, I think that I have, like, I, I, it takes me a while to really get to know someone, even though I know a lot of people. You know, like, I always would think, I think as people, at least me, have an idea of myself that I put out there and then the real version of me. And the people I'm very close to in my family, you know, know the real ver- me and I, I feel myself around them and it's healthy. 
And then there's a lot of people out there who know a different version of me. Mm -hmm. That's not false necessarily or bad. It's just a different version of me. And it's a little more separate from who I am. And I think it's hard for me to trust fully to be like, um, I don't show all of it right away. And also because what I do, I'm meeting so many people very quickly. You know, all of a sudden I go do a job and I meet like a hundred new people and we do, we spend all our time together for like a couple months and then we're gone. And it's not that I want, I like, you know, I like to think I, I make real connections and I keep them going sometimes, but it's also a very like, a lot of like showing a lot of yourself and then pulling it away. So it's like, it sounds kind of sad, but there's a part of me that's like, can't get too attached, you know, because like this is part of it. Like I got to kind of move on and like mm. take what I can, move on from it. And if something really works, it sticks with me, you know, but it does make it hard to, especially like, I mean, classic, like dating's hard in this industry, but <laughs> I do find it hard to like, I meet a lot of fascinating, fun people, but that doesn't mean I want to bring them home. You know what I mean? Mm. They're like. Very narcissistic. The most fun ones are narcissistic. And like, <laughs> we have a great time at parties, flirting, even sleeping together sometimes. But then I'm like, but that's not my real, that's not my real, real. Like, bringing home to my family, you know, that, that kind of thing. It's like, that, that's harder for me. Mm. The most fun ones are narcissistic. Mm. Yeah. I think so. <laughs> that was direct. Yeah. I, I'm still. I'm still thinking about the loins. I don't know what yeah. the loins did he have. <laughs> Grilling the loins? No. Um, yeah, toasting the loins. Toasting the loins. Yeah, I don't know how you differentiate. I mean, it seems like you have a pretty, you figured out some like metrics, some like rating system mm. because you've only brought one person home to your family. Right. So that's like a pretty, it seems like you know what it what the threshold is. <laughs> I know, but maybe it's too much. I also, on the other end, I'm like, I'm super open to learning. Like, I'm not like, I totally have it figured out. But I also value my time, my personal time very differently. Like, there is a part of me, for better or worse, that's like, I got some shit to do before I'm ready to settle. And I'm learning how to share. You know, sharing is like obviously a huge part of being in a romantic relationship. And... I have a lot of great friends and I share with them and even that's hard to maintain sometimes. Mm -hmm. Checking in on people and that, you know, that's what it takes to be a good friend like we were saying earlier and it's still hard. But Is sharing it, hard because it doesn't come naturally to you? God, I hope not. I mean, I think it does. I, I like sharing but I'm also, I, I work the best in the present. I'm always trying to keep myself as present as possible. So sometimes... I think too much in the present where I'm only focused on what's in front of me at the moment. Mm -hmm. So like, say for example, this week, like I have a, I leave town on Saturday to go do a job. So my focus is like getting ready for this job and whether I'm actually like prepping, like literally like working on the script or the songs I have to learn or whatever, I am just like thinking about it, you know? So it's harder for me to feel this like, looseness to be present with other people's things if that makes sense like there's sometimes when i'm when i'm working or know that i have a job it it helps me be like oh i already got shit figured out so i can just hang like almost like you feel like oh i got enough work done to to be able to deserve this mm. you know and that's like a weird balance because ideally the you know you, you you're the happiest i think when you're able to share with other people and feel like you're getting it back. 
But I am definitely a little wary sometimes of things. I'm like, I can't share too much with this because I don't know if I'm going to get it back. Right. Or or people's motivations. Yeah, for sure. People's motivations. Yeah. This is my theory. And, and I seem to... People have written the show and they said, you know, you always put out some fucking dumbass theory yeah. in this podcast. <laughs> I seem to do one an episode, but I here's this is a theory I have. Yeah. We barely know each other. I'm ready for it. Yeah. Maybe... The reason there is some reluctance to give some of yourself right now mm-hmm. is because you've been asked to give a bunch of yourself since you were about nine. Right. In a way that I don't think most of us were asked. Like, I don't think that was required. Me at nine, I was like playing basketball. Like, I wasn't, right. I was in Catholic school. I wasn't, I wasn't acting on a show at 13. I was like, I had a crush on this girl. I was a kid at the school where I didn't understand religion. That was the biggest thing I had. I didn't understand right. Catholicism. It's a big one. I still don't get it. Well, I mean, I just left. So yeah, yeah I mean, that's <laughs> not, I, I didn't get it, and I left. So I don't know. Maybe that's that plays into it because I think you are someone who had a particularly unusual upbringing. Yeah, it might have something for sure. I mean, I think that it. Everything. You can also say that's like total nonsense. Well, I, when you were saying that, I was like, I was also playing basketball and had crushes on boys. You know, it's like I wasn't it wasn't <laughs> my whole um, world, but it was I had a certain level of responsibility that I got addicted to at a young age where I was like, I like having this. I like people coming up and being like, Ali, we need you to do this, this and this this way. And I was like, you got it. Watch me do it. Otherwise, I would if I really, you know, I always say this, like if it was just like acting I loved, I'd be doing local theater. And like teaching kids, you know, mm. but I'm like, no, sorry, I want to be seen. I want yeah. people to see that I can do it. There's, you know, that's another like relationship with my ego was something I had to accept where I'm like, I don't want to act like I'm like, I don't even care if my shit does good. I just want to do good work. I'm like, no, I want my shit to be seen. I want to, I, I want to compete. I have that energy in me. But um, because of that, that addictive or whatever nature I had to having responsibility, it keeps adding as time goes on. So sometimes I'm like, Selfish in the sense that I'm like, you know, at this point in my life, I'm, I have evolved, you know, many times and I hope to keep doing it. But at this point in my life, I'm like, my priorities are to make the work I want. And that's taking my full focus. And I want to have fun and meet people up until then. But, you know, especially when it comes to romantic stuff, it's like a whole other fucking kettle of fish where it's like needing to be with someone who I feel like actually teaches me something and challenges me and all these things and I just haven't had that yet and I don't feel bad about it. I'm like, I kind of like the way I work on my own. Mm. I'm almost a little too comfortable with it actually. You think so? Yeah. I like being independent, like dangerously so. Yeah, and you need someone who's going to be there with you but not be too intrusive? Yeah, and also I'm just like not, I judge, Duck Butter's a lot about that too, like I judge the idea of certain relationships, not what they actually are one-on-one. I don't think anyone knows what it's like between two people, which is a beautiful thing. But from the outside, especially as a woman, I think a lot of, I've always had very strong judgments of how women identify themselves by being in relationships. And Mm. I've been very adamant to not do that. And also want to talk about in my work, like the thing I'm writing now, stuff I want to talk about is about how um, a woman doesn't have to, yeah, identify herself by being in a relationship as a sign of success. I meet a lot of guy actors who their careers are doing really well and they all were in serious relationships or they just got out of them because they're like, well, I'm just like, you know, so much is coming to me right now, including girls. So I got to take advantage of that. 
And you never meet girls like that. And then a part of me is like, we men and women relate to sex differently, but I feel more on that side. I'm like, yeah, I'm meeting a lot of new people right now. And I haven't really felt the need to stay with somebody. And that's okay. I was like, instead of judging myself for being like overly sexual or overly whatever, I'm like, you know, men and women are different, but I, I, I feel the relation to that more. I'm like, there's a lot going on and I need to just kind of like use myself as a vessel. Mm. Yeah. I don't know why that double standard is still existing, but I, totally. I don't know if that's going to be like demolished. I think it may stay. There's, I, yeah. There's uh, a lot that I'm hoping changes, but there's some things that are like animalistic. Yeah. Yeah. Something that is very different to uh, men and women having sex and, and the different standards around that. I thought about, I was trying to think about putting myself in your shoes mm-hmm. in the wake of all the Muslim ban stuff mm-hmm. that happened. Stuff feels like an inappropriate term. but <laughs> um, We know what you're talking about. Yeah. I, I, I was thinking, or trying to think about how you must have been feeling through all that. I know that feels feels long ago because there's been about a thousand other awful things our yeah. president has done since then. But in that moment, in those in those few weeks when it was really tumultuous, how are you grappling with all of that? When it first happened, actually, <laughs> I had to do a... No, it was the day after that he was inaugurated. I was on a talk show. It was very depressing. And um, it was also, you know, that was one of his first things that had come up. And my dad's family is all Muslim. I was never raised really very Muslim, but culturally I was, if that makes sense. Like we didn't eat pork. That was kind of the most extreme. And we went to mosques sometimes, but my mother's American and wasn't raised with any religion. So it was always kind of like lax. But culturally, in my opinion, because I don't really agree with religion, but I think culturally it's very important, any religion. And there's positive, it's only positive stuff culturally, as long as you're not like, you know, homophobic or racist against people. But um, so when that happened, I obviously felt very personal because I'm like my grandmother who prays, you know, five times a day and and is like the sweetest angel in the world. I was like imagining what it would be like if all of a sudden she was taken back. And also she loves America. That's what's so funny is like my dad and all his family that have gone through fucking hell and back to get here and to build a new life. They love America. They still do. And as Americans, we hate America. We're like, fuck this place. Like we never get, you know, our rights, all the shit. Like we're just like so disgruntled with it. And yet they love it. Even with Donald Trump, like they hate Donald Trump, but they they love America mm. because they don't associate it like that as we Americans do. I feel like we take stuff very personally on social levels, which makes sense. But part of an American quality, too, is that our voices are so heard. Whether you're a public figure or not, it's all about, like, my opinion, my voice. Listen to me. And foreigners aren't like that. They're like, I like the just... thumb motion you did there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Big right to me. <laughs> That's like the Uncle Sam kind of thing. But, um... <laughs> The foreigners are much more like, we're just here trying to get by. We're trying to make money, and uh, here we can. We have a freedom here that you just don't have in other places in the world. And they've been through so much to get here, you know, especially my dad's family. It's like it was really hard for them to get here, leaving, you know, and, and then their country gets destroyed by America, which is even crazier. And and they don't feel any 
No. Remorse over that. Or resentment towards America. Really? No. And I know there's a lot of, you know, Muslims, Arabs who hate America, rightfully so, but they're over there. But the ones who came here, it's almost like they realize because they're like, there's good people here. You know, they married Americans or they work with them and they're like, they're good people here. They were also, there's like during, I mean, 9-11 up until even recently, there's a lot of Islamophobia. So my family lives in the desert and there's a lot of people who are like fucking terrorist, towelhead, like, you know, it's always gone on. And they still don't hate America, which is amazing. And what it actually made me feel, obviously, I was scared at first and really, like, um, infuriated, like most people are by Trump and every breath he takes. But as a little time has passed, what it's actually made me feel is just like with anything where I'm like, okay, what am I going to do with this? As a storyteller and a professional one at that, my goal is, like, I want to tell stories from American, Arabs, and Arabs' perspectives. Because... There really isn't that Mm. right now. And there's also a lot of other Muslim Arab actors that I've met, and we talk about it now a lot. We're like, hey, this is our time. We got to start talking about this as, you know, how the African-American community too. It took time, but like now it really feels like people are actually listening to them and telling those stories. And even though they're, and they're still very new, which is crazy, but, you know, like Black Panther or like, you know, Get Out, you're like, right perspective of somebody who's black and what it actually feels like to do that so anyways i I feel like fueled by all that shit to be like i want to tell stories from someone who's raised muslim who's arab american who's a woman who's arab american you know like i think it's just more story that's how it makes the biggest difference in my perspective culturally hearing from you know you just don't see any like family stories about arabs and it's always looked at as something kind of scary or and a lot of my friends, even smart friends, like they think Islam um, promotes killing people. Um, and they're like, but Islam is like pretty bad. And I'm like, it's a peaceful religion like anyone genuinely means to be. It's just like people don't understand it. So, yeah, does that answer your question? <laughs> kind of. I think you know that was a good answer. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think I need to like pat you on the back for the good answer. <laughs> I didn't wrap it up well, but I, I was did. that a great answer that I just was delivered a seven a good minute or what? Yeah, it was a fine answer. I'll keep going. You know. Oh, you great! Stop me. Put the water to pile down, and here we go. <laughs> great, that was a good answer. Thank you, Sam. I think maybe your family is more okay with America because my family on my dad's side is the same way. We were, you know, all from Mexico. Oh wow! I didn't know school. Um. What? I just said I didn't know that. That's cool. Because I look so white. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, you and everyone else yeah. who's ever met me. Yeah, I know. Fifty uh, percent. It doesn't matter. I look. That's America for you. Yeah. I think, th- at least my grandfather, and in turn, um, my dad and his brothers and sisters. I think they see America as like. Not only a huge privilege that mm-hmm. they that they're here. But like some sort of accomplishment or prize, like hey, we made it here. Yeah, this wasn't this wasn't even supposed to happen. If we didn't move, this would never have happened. Totally. And for us, so you know, I was born here, you were born here. I think to us, it's just like a birthright. It's yeah. like, well, we had no option. We mm-hmm. are exactly where we were, and I think that's perhaps why we're so reluctant to indulge like america exceptionalism like how oh it's so one because i don't think we think it is totally 
And also when, you, when you're given too much privilege in anything, you get spoiled. And you don't appreciate or realize the opportunities where it's like, hopefully, God forbid, we're not turning into a dictatorship ourselves. But, you know, America before this was like, truly anything you wanted to do, you could. Mm. Like, my dad has been starting businesses since he was a kid in Baghdad and was never able to reach a certain level because you're just not allowed yeah. to be successful. And here he was able to become a self-made man. Yeah. You know? And Your like, dad feels yeah. like someone who's done like nine businesses. Yes. Yeah, that's, I know. I love that fe- you know him, but he that's, totally that's is That's my that. feeling. Every time, even when he loses money, I'm like, you know. It he knows what he's doing. Yeah. He knows what he's doing. I, well, I'm not going to get into that. But yeah, he, he knows <laughs> what he's doing at all times and it's totally. really annoying to play with. But yeah. <laughs> um, that's whatever. I know they weren't angry in, in, in the wake of all the Trump Muslim ban I'm going to say shit this time, not stuff. Right. Were you angry? Yeah. I'm always angry. It's, it's a, I, <laughs> I think it's <laughs> okay. politically. I guess we settled that. Yeah. She's always angry. I'm always angry. Okay. Um, I roast my loins. Um, it's like, it's a, it's a hard thing. I mean, to make it not as specific about the Muslim ban, I think there's an overall, you know, when he's taking the only pro-life president we've really had who's been promoting it, like, Every day, it's something that is completely, you know, opposite of what I stand for or believe in or assume other people are being treated. And I think that's the only benefit of having someone like him as president is that we're forced to reach out and be like, hey, I need to help somebody else because America, like, it's not just getting taken care of. Whereas before, we were like, well, my life's pretty good. Like, isn't yours? And they're like, no, it's not good. You know? I'm like... (laughs) A broke black kid who's like it's it's a very different life for me than you, and I admit I wasn't as aware of that being younger, you know. And I think that our country kind of permeated that. But I think I, what I've tried to learn and what I talk about with friends is, I mean, having conversations obviously about what's happening, be more aware of what's happening, but like also knowing how to be your best self in your life, like you know how to be kind, take care of yourself, and all this shit because. What happens on a daily basis, it feels like, with him and with all these, you know, new acts that he's trying to push are, it's so infuriating that it's like you can't see straight. I mean, um, when he made, uh, you know, said that Jerusalem was to be the capital for Israel, I've spent time in Palestine. I have a lot of friends there. Um, the Palestinian issue has been going on for a very long time, and it's just even slightly starting to become more socially acceptable to be like, hey, I'm not anti-Jew. I'm just anti-Israeli politics because they want to completely wash away Palestinians and the way they treat them there. I mean, if you, you know, if anyone went there, I mean, my first boyfriend was Jewish and we used to always have these fights about Israel and Palestine. I was like, what do either of us fucking know about Israel and Palestine? But we'd fight about it all the time. We're in Brooklyn. We know <laughs> yeah, exactly. And we would fight about shit like we weren't even educated on, but, and we laugh about it now, but it was a very personal thing because he was raised Jewish and, you know, had family who was like in the Holocaust and, and was very, and understandably very connected to Judaism in Israel. And so many people I knew growing up, you know, went to do their birthright and Israel was always this like fun place. And my family being Arab, I always was pro-Palestinian. I was like, but what about the Arabs on the other side of the wall that aren't, aren't getting medicine and water and they live in the same land and they just keep getting boxed in more and more. So I remember when Trump did that, I was infuriated. I was like so upset. And again, talking about it with my dad, and he was like, you can't get so upset, Elia. It's okay. You can't get so upset. And I was like, why aren't you upset? I was like, this is crazy. 
And you know what happens now, sadly, is like I get upset and I just like retweet a bunch of things and feel like I'm being doing something and it doesn't feel as good. But mm. I just tried to like calm down because anger doesn't really get much. And then, you know, in my perspective from my world, now all actors are becoming fucking politicized. Anyone who's like a public figure, which I have my own issues with, but I'm like, hey, I want to talk about it. You know, I'm one of the only like Arab American actresses. So I'm like, for sure, I'm going to talk about it. Yeah. And that's all I could kind of do is like try to bring more awareness to these issues. And again, tell stories about it. So it, it like kind of gets into your home without you knowing it, without it being like, I'm an actress talking about politics. Like I know yeah. shit more like, okay, I'm going to tell stories about Arabs. And hopefully here's a movie help. on Netflix. Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah. Yeah. People being politicized is, um, I guess that's what we're doing now. I guess that's what we're doing now. When, yeah. did, when did we sign up for this? I for, I missed the memo. Once on the we whole... all said yes to the internet, I think. Oh, I see, it, it wasn't yeah. it wasn't that bad in the beginning. Mm-mm. But uh, it was all e bombs world and college humor. Oh my god, that wasn't much better. But yeah, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that was also that happened. Yeah, it was a uh, aim instant messenger. Mm-hmm. That was nice. That was chill. Yeah, that was fun. That I like made a fool of myself a bunch. Me and, too. God, now it's um, you know. Like like the Muslim ban thing, though, I did find it's very similar to how people are treating, you know, the Time's Up, uh, mm-hmm. all of that movement, which is, it's a lot of people, I notice this, especially the behavior in white people. Yeah. It's that, like, not only is all the issues, like, their issue, where they've made it about themselves, but it's a lot of conversations about having conversations. Mm-hmm. That I don't, I just, it worries me. I just don't know what, what's the end to it. And in regards to you, it's like, as, as someone who's a public figure in some way, you're asked now to give your opinion and, and mm-hmm. to put your principles out there. In a when way, really we're just a bunch of clowns. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's, 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 I, um, to a degree. I, this is going to, people are going to be mad at me that I'm saying this, but did you see Chappelle's new special? I did. The bird. Yep. I had a lot of opinions about it. Do you? Yeah. Well, I, I. What were you going to say? I was going to say as flawed and as, and as um, fucked up as some of the things he has said on there and how I don't agree with the whole, whole swath of shit he said. Yeah. But he did preface it by being like, but I'm up here to say whatever the fuck I want. I think it's fucking ridiculous. That anyone has any audacity to shoot this person down who is publicly grappling with the transition of ideas inside his head mm-hmm. in a way that we all have to. Totally. And he's and, doing it in a public form. In a public form. I yeah. I don't know. I broke down after that special. I thought it was really brilliant. And I, I, I don't care that I don't agree with some of the things. I don't know when we had to agree with everyone. If I like had to agree... With everything that Martin Scorsese liked, or like all these people that I used to love yeah. and I still love, I would like no one. I think that the the delicate, like where the line is tipping now. I read that there's an interesting article in the New York Times I read the other day that was talking about the whole Times Up Me Too movement. That was like part of the issue with Hollywood being this kind of like martyrdom and be like, you know, protesting is that it's all connected to. Um, selling something so it's like yeah you see these beautiful white actresses who are like i'm bringing somebody with me you know um Mm. who's a activist and they're like 
and thank you Cartier for giving me this watch yeah. to wear. Time's up. Yeah. Time's up. Hashtag yeah. Cartier. So you're like, okay. Truly, there's a watch here. Time's up. Literally. Here's the, here's the time. I think there was like a joke, like Lord Dern or somebody said it was like, helps me, it reminds me, time's up. So it's like they're selling something as well as as like they're they're selling an idea, an image of what beauty is, fame, success, being white woman and successful, and also putting in uh, sexual harassment, you know, in that same yeah. kind of bag. And that's where it gets tricky. They're, they are literally monetizing yes. people's traumatic experiences. They are. To, to benefit them. At the same time, you're like, I think it's the attention that they're able to bring so quickly is powerful. You're like, right. Now, a lot more people are talking about it. But that unsettling feeling, a lot of women that I talk to in the industry and not, we all feel it. You know, and then there's other people, you know, I can't speak for them who are like, this is it. This is happening. It's on, you know, and I'm like, there's a delicate thing. It's very delicate because, yeah, it doesn't feel good. It doesn't feel genuine because you're like, it is being monetized. There's something superficial about it. And at the same time, you're like, what hair off of your back? Or I'm really bad with sayings here, but like, yeah. what, what are you actually sacrificing by doing that? Like, is it actually out of your way? Or are you just like, yeah, and I'm going to say this too. So fuck it. I'm like, you're not actually making a different effort because no, what's more important to you is like, you also want to sell that movie that you got coming out next week. Are you, do you not agree? I mean, like not, not saying that these women don't want to support obviously like, you know, um, victims of sexual abuse and, and want to bring attention to it. But it is tricky because these aren't the people who are like trying to get laws passed, who are spending their days and nights reaching out to people and, and fundraising. You know, it's like, that's not their job. They're performers. Mm -hmm. So there's a delicate line of it. And so it always feels like a little weird. I mean, especially with all these issues, you know, another part of the conversation that's important to me that's about women's sexual agency that I don't think is being talked about because there's a big fire happening now and it's kind of like, get everybody. And I mean, we're so far away from that yeah, conversation. Exactly. Like and we, I think it's so important that it doesn't get lost in it because to me, that's what I keep thinking about. I'm like, obviously, you know, sexual violence and sexual harassment have been going on for so long and still going on on every level. And it's something that needs to be addressed. And it's not, it's like, yeah, these men who have partaken in it need to be, you know, get in trouble for it. But at the same time, I'm like, I'm more worried about, I'm like, what about these young girls that we need to educate them and young boys about how to learn how to relate to each other. Because we're first of all, we're only talking about heterosexual dynamics. But mm. if we're just talking about that, it's like the goal is to have understanding sexual conversations where both people feel safe and trusting and it, it's a healthy dynamic. Not like, like, I'm so surprised how quiet so many men are. And it's like, I'm, not, I'm also not surprised because so many Women are like, it's your time to shut up. And I'm like, but they're the ones that we need to be communicating with. And I just feel like there's a communication that's really being dropped in this because there's such a a high agent, like, you know, fury that's happening right now. You're surprised they're quiet about? About not talking about, you know, I mean, I understand that's an uncomfortable position. A lot of guys I know are like, I know I have no right to say stuff. But I'm like, no, you do have a right because you haven't felt it from the woman's perspective. But I'm like, have you, what are your issues with how you communicate with women? Or have you had moments where, like, 
I just think that the conversation between men and women is very important. They need to be a part of it. Mm. And and that's when women can discover what they actually like sexually and know when they feel comfortable or not or know that if something doesn't feel good that they can get the fuck out. And I've been a part of a lot of situations where I'm like, oh, I kind of already made it seem like I'm doing this, so I'm going to do it. You know, there's this really great article, The Cat Person. You read that? Yeah, I read that. I thought that was a really great example. Obviously, it's like fictional too, but it's like it was just a really good example of also where this line goes. We're not talking about sexual abuse. You know, that's like a, a much more extreme, but I think it's it's very hard for people to, it, and it always has been, to define the gray area. And I guess all I mean is that just I think a lot of women need to, we need to learn tools as well mm. instead of just, you know, burning the opposition. It's like it has to be a two-way street where it's like, yes, there's a lot of women who are terrible victims to so many tragic things. But then on the other level, I'm like, for young girls, it's going to be so important if they know, if they're talking to someone, if they feel uncomfortable, to know that they should be like, you know what, I'm getting the fuck out of here. Yeah. Because guys have always been taught, they're like, if they get turned off, they're like, uh, I'm over it. I don't want to fuck you anymore. Why? Girls don't. Yeah. And it's, and it's I have a sister who's 14. And I think about all this and it like terrifies me because I don't yeah. want to imagine her doing anything, but she's going to, and she has to, it's part of life. And it's great that, she, that this is happening now. Right. And that she understands that like you're allowed and should be saying no when you're not comfortable. Totally. And on the flip side to what you're saying, I don't think we are teaching sexual agency at all and i think we're making it like really puritanical and i don't the the idea of like practicing safe sex is not we're so far away from that conversation we're we're not even i mean we promote violence in films much more than like nudity yeah i mean we're we're so far from it and it's the the thought i keep having throughout all this it's so you know my thoughts are muddled and i go back and forth because i totally think people who've done these bad things should i don't think anyone disagrees with that yeah anyone who's reasonable thinks x person who did x bad thing should be punished that's just how it is and then the other more nuanced and complex part of it is like you know i don't know if there's anything more vulnerable and terrifying and a little scary than like being intimate with someone totally and for us to reduce it to an article like i don't know if there's a worse place to have that conversation than twitter right or instagram it's not a place to have any conversation really yeah and even it's, though it's, it's a the place biggest to, form it's a place to have jokes yeah it's a place to like fuck off and, and to ma- promote something be like here's a video here's a thing i'm in x movie well it's fine but to, to talk about something that's so personal that's so like it's why we're here and also we don't really understand like everyone's so different sexually and we're not even totally in the way people communicate. I don't know. It's, it's just mortifying. It makes me not actually um, want to be sexual. Right. It, it, I don't, I, well, I think that's part of the thing too. It's, it's, it's like a lot of fears coming along with it. And I read these things on these like, you know, feminist kind of organizations that are like, if you think this is a witch hunt, then maybe you're, you know, it's, you're next or like these things that I'm like, okay, Obviously promoting the idea of like strong women. Yes, very important. But the truth of that, like I think an authentic strong woman is someone who's like, I know how to communicate what I need. And if Mm. I'm not getting it, I leave. Um, And I separate myself from it. 
again, not all people are lucky enough to be able to even have the safety of leaving. Because again, sexual violence is a very different thing. But I mean, for me personally, I've been trying to read on, you know, feminist theory because like the idea of the gray area and all these like subtleties, I feel like all women, especially young girls, should be learning about because it's so different for everyone. So much of my experience sexually is what's taught me because I've learned. Not like the hard way. I think I've never been raped. But I've like been like, oh, that was not an enjoyable experience. And I learned not to do that. Yeah. And through learning more about myself, I learned how to get what I want more and feel comfortable and actually have good sex, which is like a huge part. Like they're so hand in hand. Women have not been taught. Like so a majority of women haven't even experienced orgasms in their life. That does go hand in hand with having this form of unjust sex. Again, separate from sexual harassment, or, I mean, sexual abuse. But there's these like levels of sexual harassment that women are relating to sexual abuse. And I'm like, that's different. Is it still a problem? Yes, but it's different. Like you have to, we have to learn how to answer to our own sexual identity first in order to like really know what we want out of this situation instead of just being like, they should know better. You know, I'm like, guys are watching porn at a fucking young age. So like these young boys are think that that's how you're supposed to have sex. Like supposedly now they did some kind of survey Young kids are having are doing less drugs and less drinking than ever before and having less sex than ever before. Yeah. And I find that so depressing. It's like, yeah, good they're not doing drugs and drinking. I mean, a little bit, but I'm like, you know, kids don't even know how to interact with each other and like uh, nervously yeah. go up and be like, hey, you want to dance with me? Like, no, they're going to watch porn and jerk off and not even go to the dance. Yeah. And you it's have disassociating. To, you us. have to have that experience of going up to someone at a dance. You have to. And being like, do you want to dance? And the girl or guy being like, no, nah, I don't think so. Yeah, totally. I've had that so many times. It sucks. It sucks, but it's so formative. And it's you so healthy. Everyone gets denied. Nobody wants to be turned down, but everybody gets it. Even like the most like attractive people, they have their own slew of issues. You know what I mean? It's like, it's just, yeah, it's so important. And that's what it, that scares me the most about all this is just that we're not learning the actual tools. We're just getting a little carried away with the fury. But I still think, I also think we have, we're very impatient we think. So this has been happening, you know, for a little bit now, but it hasn't actually been going on that long. And everyone's like, well, what's the aftermath of this going to be? I'm like, well, let's just still wait till the fucking dust settles. You know, like there's still, it's still very new. You got that phrase, right? Yeah. Thank you. The dust settles. By the way, I Googled over here. Loins, (laughs) loins. (laughs) Nothing. So there's. Is it soaking my oats? Yeah. It's fruit of my loins, maybe. Mm. Or there's this one cannot be right, but it keeps coming up. Gird up loins. Gird gird up? Gird up loins. Gird up loins. Which I. What does that even mean? I have no idea, but it's come up. There's like 20. There's a bunch of results here. We got to start that. Gird up loins. Yeah. I think I'll let you start it and I will watch (laughs) you from afar and pat you on the back. I'm going to get on Twitter tonight. Okay. Great. Gird up loins. I want to ask, we're almost done. Okay. (laughs) You're right that people are very eager to understand and get to the aftermath Mm -hmm. part, especially guys, because I think every man wants to like get through this as quick as possible, um, which is part of the problem for sure. Yeah, for sure. That we want to like fast track. Women's (laughs) understanding of like an understanding of of what's appropriate sexually. Um, We just want like a quick course because they're not a part of it, and it's kind of like one of the first conversations in a while that men aren't allowed. Men hate not 
being a, a part of these conversations. Damn straight. They just want to be there. They want to be supportive. Yeah. They really just want to be at the center. Yeah, they want to be like their mom who's like, you're the most beautiful boy, most important thing in the world. And they're like, wait, these, these women aren't looking at me like my mother? Yeah. And you're like, no, shut up. Oh, God. That's, yeah. that's so terrifying. <laughs> um, I think about myself now. Yeah. I, I don't know if I want that. Do I want people to be like my mom? Ugh. Some degree. I'm sure to like 20%. Yeah. There's like 20%. <laughs> In all of us, at least 20%. Mother, please appear. Um, are you at all exhausted by the last six months? Yeah. I mean, about like socially and like what, and publicly what's happening? Yeah, not only that, but also what is asked of you. Mm. You know, it's a mix. I, I am exhausted in one end because... The frustration I think that anyone as a human deals with of how do I as succinctly and honestly as possible communicate what I feel as a person, what's going on in my head, how do I get that across, uh, how do I articulate it. I think everyone, whether you're an artist or not, that's your goal is to just be as clear as possible about who you are and how you feel about something. And if we were able to do that, I think their life would be a lot easier. We'd all be a lot kinder to each other. We wouldn't be projecting stuff. There wouldn't be war. All these things, right? So I feel exhausted in that sense because sometimes I feel like I'm not able to communicate it properly. And I don't know who to reach. And with the internet, there's this thing of like, if I don't reach all these people, it has no value. It's just like a whisper and no one hears it. And that part's frustrating. And then on the other end, I feel kind of like re-encouraged because it's forcing me to work on articulating myself, forcing me to to think about these inner dynamics and think about other people more so than maybe I have. And I think that's a combination of like my age as well as it matching the time we're in. But, you know, at, at this time in my life and in 2018, whatever, at this time, it's the combination of feeling really frustrated and like nothing I say is going to do anything. And then also being like, but just keep working on it because there are sometimes I'll have a conversation with somebody one-on-one or in a group and feel completely heard. And other people are like, I agree. And I understand what you're talking about, but I do feel like I'm forcing myself to just rise up. Like be, I, I think articulating ourselves is the, the biggest gift we could get out of this. Mm. And also to listen a lot more. Um, I saw Gloria Steinem speak. And she was talking about these revolutions in feminism and, you know, how they kind of rise and fall. And she's like, what's super important is if you're used to talking a lot, you got to listen a lot more. And if you don't talk a lot, then you can talk and also listen. But I think a lot of people who are used to having their voices heard are like, like going crazy. Especially actors and actresses. Especially actors and actresses. And I think part of it is like we have to really understand where everybody's coming from. And that's what's the, you know, the part about this movement that that does scare me and I get concerned about is that we're not listening to each other Mm. Um, and it's going to make it hard to heal faster because of it. But I do have hope and faith that because a lot of the people I'm talking to directly face to face, not through fucking Twitter, everyone feels very similarly. Uh, There hasn't been somebody, you know, that I've really talked to, I guess, you know, it's all people I know and I'm friends with that have not shared this feeling. So that's what makes me think we're all feeling it is just the more we articulate it, the more we're able to actually, without being scared to say something and getting attacked for it. um, Once that kind of settles, that we'll be able to communicate much more clearly 
what we hope comes of all this. Mm. You know, I mentioned my sister who's 14 going on 15, maybe 15. I'm sorry, Maya. I'm going to leave it in here. I'd rather be honest and transparent. Alia's giving me a thumbs up. <laughs> I don't know what this is. I'm, just, <laughs> I, I'm thinking about her, like I said, more and more. And I want to ask you, what do you wish you could have told your 14, 15-year-old self? Oh, gosh, a lot of things. The biggest thing, it's hard for things not to sound like kind of hyperbolic and cheesy, but the biggest thing is like, know that you're the best. Like, when I was that age, I was defining myself based off of how people people that I thought were cooler than me or had it figured out. And I would try to mimic them to a degree or try to like take on those personal traits. When the things that have lasted, that I, qualities then that now I'm encouraged and actually love the most about myself are the things that I was trying to hide back then, you know? I mean, I guess, that would, yeah, just that it's like to have the confidence to know that like I was really cool. Like, my instincts are right. Hang out with the nice people, not the ones who just seem cool. Like, the ones who are genuinely kind, always better. Always hang out with the nicer people. Always be kind. That's the biggest thing. It's like, you know, we try so hard at that age to be cool, and kindness is so much better and always pays off. So, yeah, like, be kind. Know you're cool. And also, like, you know, make sure, like, like the 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 boy or girl that you're into, not... And if they're not into you, then, like, move on. Um, mm. Because I used to really be like, am I ever going to get a boyfriend? And it was, like, so I would, again, define myself by being, like, oh, I'm not liked that way. And just know that, like, it, it'll come. And eventually you actually get to pick. It's not the other way around. Mm. I know you said that was hyperbolic and cheesy. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to do the same thing here. Okay, yeah, what would you tell yourself? Oh, me? Oh, oh. <laughs> that's not what you were going to say? Okay. That's not what I was going to say, but let's, let's, I'll go with that. What would I tell myself? Um, I would say just the idea of being kinder to yourself mm-hmm. is, um, it sounds very simple, but it's really a hard thing to do because I think at that age, you don't have the thing you get when you're older, which I don't even think I have it yet but it's perspective Mm -hmm. because at that age, everything is so important. Totally. Everything feels like the end of the world and the day to day school life that you're living. It's like every interaction means everything. Totally. And we get really hard on ourselves in a way that is not helpful. So I don't know how a 14 or 15 year old gains perspective at that age. Yeah. But if, if, a kid at that age could just be like 5% better to themselves. It would make a huge difference. It would make all the world's difference. Totally. What I was going to say. Yeah. (laughs) In terms of hyperbolic, the last thing I wanted to ask you, and maybe this is cheesy. In fact, it's definitely cheesy. I can't wait. Are you happy? Oh boy. That's when she killed over. Um, (laughs) That's when she's like, I have to go to the bathroom. Bye. (laughs) Um, Am I happy? Today I am. I know that's also a cheesy answer, but I think that the best gift I have, if I am so bold to be nice to myself, is that I, no matter how dark 
some days can be or how unhappy or how far away I feel like from my goals or whatever or disconnected from people, I always am like, but hey, that can change real fast. And I know that and I really believe that. And that's one thing I don't have a hard time reminding myself of. So even when things are really good, I'm like, this is great. It's going to change. might get shittier. But today's good. So right now I am happy. Yeah. Today's a good day. Today's a good day. It's nice outside. We're going to have another coffee after this. Great. Yeah. Ali Shawkat, thank you so much for coming on. Thanks, Sam. Thanks for having me. to check out search party you can do so on the tbs website which we'll include in our show notes should you find yourself in the new york area during next month's tribeca film festival be sure to check out duck butter on april 20th alia co-wrote the film with friend of the show miguel artena and it's really a special movie to learn more about this podcast you can visit our website at www.talkeasypod.com If you want to help us continue making this show, be sure to give us a review on iTunes. I know every podcast in the history of podcasts has asked you to review the show on iTunes. But truly, just a few kind words helps new listeners find the show. As always, our executive producer is David Chen. Graphics by Ian Jones. Illustrations by Krishna Shenoy. Our associate producer is Valerie Attenhofer. And the show is produced by Dylan Peck. I'm Sam Fragoso. Thank you for returning to Talk Easy. I'll see you next week with Josh Randall. The tradition of breaking tradition continues with the return of the unconventional awards from T-Mobile for Business at Mobile World Congress. This is an event that celebrates innovators whose bold actions took their industries to new places. If that sounds like you and you're a T-Mobile for Business customer, enter today. If you win, you'll be publicly honored amongst some of the most influential leaders in industry. And me, I'll be there too. Enter now at tmobile.com slash unconventional awards. See you there. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. 
I'm so excited to tell you JCPenney and country music singer-songwriter Walker Hayes are partnering together on a new limited-time men's collection for the everyday guy. What I love about Walker Hayes is his laid-back nature. He's a family man and being a country megastar while also having seven kids. You know he likes to keep his style cool and casual. This new collection is perfect for the guy living the t-shirt life or someone wanting some fresh options that feel just as good. It's easy to wear, affordable styles that celebrate the ultimate family man, along with the quality, durability, and sensibility dads appreciate. Available online Saturday, May 4th at jcp.com and in-store Thursday, May 16th. Just in time for Father's Day. Limited time only. JCPenney, make it count. 